We are going to now turn to the reading and proclaiming of God's Word. Uh, If you haven't been with us before, we are looking at the book of James. It's written by James, the brother of Jesus, who is the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he's writing this to Christians who have Jewish backgrounds who are spread out throughout the Middle East. Last week we saw that James talk about how powerful our words are, how dangerous or how life-giving they can be. And this morning, he turns to talk about what's behind those words. What is the driving force behind our actions and our speech, things like that? And it leads us to ask this question, who is calling the shots in your life? It's an interesting question. Let's listen to the reading of God's Word. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise in understanding among you? By his good care conduct... Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Oh God, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit so that we could not escape the reality of our hearts that we choose so often to ignore you and to look to our own ways. God, would you convict us this morning of where we have failed to listen to you, to hear you, to follow you? And would you remind us quickly of the forgiveness that we have been given through the death and resurrection of Jesus? I pray that my words would fall to the floor and only your words remain. And I pray this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. I remember being in middle school, when I was finally given permission to get my own AOL instant messenger screen name. Some of you have no idea what that is. Others of you remember what instant messenger was. It was like texting before people had cell phones. It was kind of like Gchat, although Gchat has also kind of gone the same way. You could talk with anybody from the comfort of your own home. And I remember when I was given permission to get my own screen name, I felt this freedom, this power to put letters and numbers together and create this identity that would be seen by everybody out there, telling people who I was, or or more likely, who I wanted to be, someone I could grow into. Well, it did not go so well for me. I grew up in Orlando, Florida. We used to go to Disney all the time, and one of my favorite things was to go on the animation tours to see how all of these amazing movies have been made throughout the years, how people could draw stories and make them come to life. And this was only a couple years after Toy Story came out, so the idea that we could use computers to do the same thing, I was so excited. I was going to be an animator. That's what I wanted to be. I would be an animator. Stephen Chitty, future animator, SCFA. So those were the letters I picked for my screen name. Now, either the people in my life were too polite to tell me or I was too stubborn to hear it, 
But apparently, Disney is not looking for stick figure movies these days. I cannot draw to save my life. And yet, this is who I wanted to be. This is who I put myself to be out there on the internet. But you can't just have letters. You also have to have some numbers. So what is a middle school student looking forward to more than the day that they graduate high school and move off into freedom? 2005. There it is. Once again, either the people in my life were too polite to tell me or I was too stubborn to hear that I needed to work on my math skills in order to graduate on time in 2004. (laughs) It was terrible. Oftentimes when we try to define ourselves, when we try to plot the course of our own lives, things don't go according to plan. Sometimes those mistakes turn into embarrassing stories that stick with you forever, but sometimes they result in much more serious and often destructive situations. That truth is at the heart of what James is saying here. He asks this question of his audience, what wisdom are you following? Whose thoughts dictate your plan for living? Now, as we look at this passage, we need to remember that for James, wisdom isn't just intellectual. It's not just knowing or understanding right from wrong, but it's actually being able to act, behave, and say things in a way that fits with your view of the world. For us, it's so easy to think about wisdom as living in your mind, of being an intellectual pursuit. So perhaps a better way for us to understand what James is getting after is by saying, James is not so much worried about what wisdom is, but more concerned about what wisdom does. How does wisdom work out in your life? What James says here is that you can employ wisdom from the world or wisdom that comes from above. And it's pretty clear that following earthly wisdom is not only out of the question for those who follow Jesus, but earthly wisdom can be disastrous for anybody, whether they follow Jesus or not. James says earthly wisdom isolates while wisdom from above unites. Just two points for us this morning, starting with the fact that earthly wisdom isolates. Now, it may be more appropriate to name this kind of wisdom natural wisdom. Natural in the sense that it's how we all think we should behave. It comes from within. We are all born with this type of wisdom. There's a drive inside each of us to figure out how the world works, how we fit into it, and how we should engage with it. Ways we think we should live and move and have our being. Think about an infant or a newborn, right? It responds to a a toy, a blanket, a bottle, even a, a puppy in the exact same way. Put in mouth, right? To a baby, the mouth is the best way of discovering whether a thing is valuable for life. Does this thing give me food or not? It is a drive to understand the world and figure out how to engage with it. Now, as we get older, our processing and planning gets more sophisticated hopefully. Inside each of us, though, is that same drive to figure out what the world is going on, what's going on in the world around us, to establish who we are and how we fit in to the world and set a course for our life that puts us on the best possible track. I like the way that Scottish author John Galt put it in the 1800s, one of the quotes in the front of your bulletin. He says, every traveler is necessarily the hero of his own story especially if he happens to travel alone. This is the reality for each of us. We naturally follow wisdom from inside, natural wisdom. 
The problem is the Bible tells us that this natural wisdom is actually where things began to go wrong for all of creation, where where things started to mess up. Adam and Eve, they wanted to be the gods of their own life to dictate what was good and right for themselves. Now, maybe you don't buy the fact that the Bible records actual history for us, but in a year like this one, it's impossible to miss the fact that everybody has an understanding and response to what's happening in the world. And generally speaking, your response is a little bit different than mine. The response and understanding of your roommates or your spouse or your family members or the coworkers that you spend four hours on Zoom with every day is probably just a little bit different from yours. But guess what? Theirs is just as authoritative and right as yours is. We've all experienced this tension this year. We can't escape people's thoughts about the world and how we should respond to it. And so there are clashes between my worldview and your worldview. The wisdom that we have for ourselves and the the wisdom that other people have for themselves. It seems only natural to approach the world by saying, I got to rely on myself. I have to figure out this thing called life. More often than not, as James says, it doesn't go the way we want. Thankfully, James tells us why it doesn't go the way we want, why following a self-guided path doesn't work, and that's because it isolates us. Isolation. It makes me think of the Pablo Escobar meme that goes around Facebook all the time, where he is standing in an empty pool, kind of looking off into the distance, alone, sitting at a dinner table, looking at no one else there, sitting on a swing outside on a beautiful day, but alone, It comes from the Netflix series, Narcos, which if you haven't seen it, don't see it. It's not not good. But those three scenes come from the end of his, his narrative arc, where when we first meet Pablo, he is a man of the people. His mother, his wife, his kids, always around him. The people in his community, always around him. And his focus is on caring for other people. He just wants to serve his community. Even as he starts to make all this money trafficking drugs, he pours it into his community. But as time goes on, as he begins to set a goal for himself, what kind of person he should become, what kind of life he should live, based on being the biggest uh, drug trafficker in the world, he begins to become isolated. His people in his community, no longer around. His family, his mother, not there anymore. Even his friends become nothing more than advisors or bodyguards. He is alone. James says, jealousy and self-ambition are harbingers of this natural wisdom. They're both self-guided, they're both self-focused, and they both isolate. Jealousy here in this passage is the, the Greek word for zeal, but negative, not positive zeal. It's working for something that rightly belongs to somebody else. And selfish ambition is also envy here in this passage, being dissatisfied with who you are what you have with your station in life, and doing whatever you have to in order to change it, to move up, to move out. Both of those things communicate, my life is all about me. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, you know what, that that actually doesn't describe me. I'm pretty laid back. I'm content with the things that I have in life. I don't know that jealousy and selfish ambition describe me. Well, What about the rest of how James talks about following the earthly wisdom? Would you say that your life is characterized by disorder and every vile practice? 
Now, before you write off every vile practice, that sounds really bad. James doesn't have in mind like one particular set of behaviors. He's not thinking, oh, if you listen to natural wisdom, you're going to go off into animal sacrifice or something crazy like that. In fact, the wording here is similar to the wording in last week's passage where James uh, condemned our ability to both speak praises to God and with our same mouth curse humans. He's talking about the vileness of living a duplicitous life. Would you say that your life is marked by being chaotic and disorderly? Would you say that there is a difference between who you are here on Sunday morning, who you are with your community group, and who you are the rest of your life? Would you say that you have a a nice clean veneer on Sunday morning, but then you are wicked and selfish throughout the week? Or perhaps you are upstanding and a moral citizen when you're out in public, but then a train wreck mixed with a hurricane at home. James says that is the hallmark of living by natural wisdom. You're wrapped up in your own affairs, and people just become tools or commodities to help you get what you're looking for. Do you defend yourself at all costs? Do you worry very little about how your actions affect others? And do you dismiss or downplay what others think and feel? See, earthly wisdom, this natural wisdom is centripetal. It pulls you inward, away from others, isolating you from others, and, as James says, isolating you from God. This is how James describes this earthly wisdom, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Whoa, James that escalated quickly. Demonic? Really? Selfish? I get, right? Isolating? I'm willing to listen and to buy that, but demonic? Yes, because this line of thought, I am most important. I dictate who I am. I dictate what's best for me and how I should respond to the world around me is the exact lie that Satan whispered to Adam and Eve in the garden the self-propelling narrative that they bought and ran with that separated them from each other and it separated them from God, which is exactly what Satan wanted in the first place. Earthly wisdom isolates. Wisdom from above, on the other hand, unites. Wisdom from above unites. Now, as I said before, James isn't focused so much on what this wisdom from above is as he is focused on what this wisdom from above does, how it works its way out. That's why he asked this rhetorical question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. If the defining and guiding narrative of your life comes from above, not earthly, but godly, then it will be evident in your actions, specifically in your meekness, right? Meekness being humility and grace, which are both, surprise, selfless. Wisdom from above sets you on a selfless course. And on the surface, we kind of like the idea of selflessness, right? It seems noble. It can even feel heroic, and we begin to make the connection between selflessness and community or relationship, don't we? It reminds me of this uh, famous news article from 2017. In 2017, Roberta Usury and her family were swimming uh, off the beach in Panama City, Florida. They all came in except for her two sons, who are seven and nine years old, and they got swept out to sea by a rip current. 
And there's uh, Roberta and her whole family watching her kids drowning off the coast. And they can hear the two boys crying, but everyone on shore is telling her, you can't go in. It is too dangerous. But being a mother, she would not just watch her children drown. So she swam out. And then her husband and eventually 10 of the members of their family that were there vacationing together were out over 100 yards offshore drowning in 15 feet of water. This is how the Tampa Bay Times records what happened next. On the beach was Jessica Simmons, a good swimmer, and she wasn't about to let this family go down alone. These people are not drowning today, Simmons told herself. It's not happening. We're going to get them out. Already, strangers were literally joining hands to save the day. Form a human chain, people were screaming. Eighty people, some of whom couldn't even swim, locked arms together in the shallows and reached all the way out more than a football field into the water. Simmons and her husband grabbed a discarded boogie board, swam out, and began to pass members of Roberta's family down the line of the human chain back to shore. Everyone of Roberta's family was saved by the selfless, unified action of random people on the beach. Selflessness and unity. Now that sounds great, you might be thinking. This is what James is talking about, wisdom from above. I'm in. That sounds really easy. Unfortunately, what James is telling his audience is, Wisdom from above is actually going to set you apart from the rest of the culture, not in an amazing newspaper-worthy way necessarily, but actually probably in a very challenging way. You see, meekness in the Greco-Roman world was not good. Meekness was, for lack of a better term, weakness. There was no sense of humility that was noble. There was no socially acceptable way to be self-deprecating by telling stories of how ridiculous your screen name was back when you were in middle school. Meekness will be challenging, right? It's hard, right? It's less a a selfless action, and it's more a behavior of self-sacrifice, This whole idea reminds me of doing premarital counseling a couple years ago where the the husband-to-be said, I understand that I'm called to give my life away for my fiancé, but it seems easier to do that in the context of maybe taking a bullet for her than to die to my own desires and wants day in and day out. This is what it looks like to follow the wisdom from above. James describes that another way. Verse 17, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Wisdom from above produces these things, these characteristics. And if it sounds familiar, there is a sense in which these characteristics described are connected to the fruit of the Spirit that Paul writes about which are connected to God. These are characteristics of God. And so what James is saying here is wisdom from above begins to produce God in you, to connect you, to unite you to God first. James paints a progression of a life lived in a Godward direction. What would it look like for your heart and mind to be characterized by purity and gentleness, being open to reason and full of mercy, impartial 
and sincere. James tells us what it would look like. It would be peaceful. A life that is righteous, one that's pleasing to God, is sown in peace. Not disorder and vile, duplicitous behavior. Peace. In heart and in mind. Peace in relationships. Wisdom from above first unites us to God. And then unites us to those around us. What narrative, what wisdom could grow work, could grow fruit like this in you? Where does a life of righteousness born in peace begin? A story of redemption. The reality that God created all things out of nothing by the power of His Word. He made humanity in His image and promised to be in a relationship with them, to be their God loving, guiding, blessing, and taking care of them. But then we decided we wanted to follow our own path anyway, to be our own gods. And our paths, our worldly wisdom leads us away from Him, away from life and into darkness and into death. But God didn't just abandon us to that fate. He didn't just want us to watch us plunge ourselves into death, but instead He entered in to the corruption that we created, the creation we broke. He became man. He lived a perfectly sinless life, died an unjust, sacrificial death, and rose again to save you, to save me, and to unite us to himself and to each other. That is the narrative that God communicates is true to us. It is in God and God alone that we live and we move and have our being. And that rescue, the life, the love that He has given to us freely should lead to purity and impartiality and gentleness and grace and peace. The problem is we lose sight of that rescue. I was having coffee earlier this week with Doug, and he reminded me of this movie uh, called The End, starring Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds plays a wealthy but corrupt real estate broker who contracts a rare blood disease, and he decides he's going to end his own life by swimming out into the ocean. So he gets a couple hundred yards offshore, looks up, and he says, Here I come, Lord, and dives down into the water to end it all. But then a few moments later, he pops back up and he shouts, I want to live! He begins to swim back to shore and starts negotiating with God. He says, I can never make it back. Help me, Lord! Save me, and I swear I'll be a better father, a better man. Oh God, let me live, and I promise to obey every one of the Ten Commandments. I promise to learn the Ten Commandments, and then I'll obey them. I promise to be honest in business. Help me make it, and I'll give you 50% of everything I make. He recognizes out in the open water that he has no hope unless God does something to save him. And he begins to swim all the time making promises. God, save me and I'll do this. Save me and I'll do this. But as he gets closer, his confidence begins to build a little. As he can see the shore getting closer, he begins to change the way that he negotiates. He says, I think I'm going to make it, Lord. You won't regret this. No more cheating in business. Once I get rid of those nine acres in the desert, I'm going to start donating that 10% right away. I know I said 50, but let's start at 10. And if you don't want the 10, you don't have to take it. When we lose sight of the miracle of God rescuing us, 
when the narrative of Jesus exchanging his life and his righteousness for our sin and our death is diminished or forgotten, we turn from the wisdom that's from above to our own earthly wisdom. And it turns us into ourselves, into disorder and chaos and every vile action. Let's wake up every morning reminding ourselves and reminding each other that we are alive because of what God has done for us. We can move and engage with this world because of what Jesus has done for us. The wisdom that is from above unites us to God and unites us to each other. Let's pray. God, what good news, not only to hear of how you have saved us, but to hear of how that salvation changes us, not just one day in the future, but right now changes who we are and how we see things, see the world and see the other people that you've made. It invites us to to love and to serve as we have been loved and been served. I pray that you would help us to follow this wisdom, this knowledge, the narrative that you tell us is true, that we are sinners without hope, that you sent your Son to die for us, our only true hope, and that in Him we have life and have it to the full. We pray this in your Son's mighty name. Amen.